is Sunrise, the who, what, when, where, why, and WTF of Florida politics. I'm Rick Flagg reporting from Tallahassee, where the state health department reports 21,628 confirmed cases of COVID-19 and 571 fatalities. 72 of your fellow Floridians died over the past 24 hours. The teachers' union is asking the governor not to reopen schools in May, saying the potential damage to families and entire communities from an outbreak of COVID-19 far outweighs the inconvenience of continuing distance learning for the rest of the school year. There are more than 1,100 confirmed cases of coronavirus at Florida nursing homes and adult living facilities. The Agency for Healthcare Administration is still refusing to disclose the names of those homes. However, the Department of Veterans Affairs has confirmed 12 cases of COVID-19 and one fatality at a state nursing home for veterans in Pembroke Pines. Attorneys for the state asked the U.S. Supreme Court to reject a special master's report that says Florida never really proved its case in the water war with Georgia. They say it could be the death knell for the Apalachicola River and the oyster industry in Apalachicola Bay. For the first time ever, the Florida Supreme Court will hold oral arguments next month using video teleconferencing technology. Instead of gathering in their ornate courtroom across the street from the state capitol, the justices and the attorneys will be connected through Zoom, the teleconferencing software that has replaced face-to-face meetings during the pandemic. On the Sunrise interview, you'll hear from Craig Waters. He's the Supreme Court's public information officer. We'll also have your daily calendar of political events and check in with Florida Man, who is apparently a wrestling fan. And now, the top stories on Sunrise for Wednesday, April 15th. The State Teachers Union is asking the governor to keep schools closed for the rest of the academic year because of COVID-19. Florida Education Association President Frederick Ingram sent a letter to Ron DeSantis saying, quote, As much as our students and educators want the opportunity to be back at our schools, returning prematurely will threaten the safety and well-being of all on campus. However, Governor DeSantis says it's too soon to make any decisions about reopening schools or keeping them closed until the new school year. It's going to be based on safety. It's going to be based on consultation with folks in in, uh, the superintendents, the parents. And so we're just in a situation where we've got to see where we're going. Um, It doesn't mean that they are going to go back, um, but I think we just need to get down this road a little bit further. And part of what we're going to be doing, and I'll be announcing probably this week, uh, we're creating a a task force on what the phase two looks like. What what does a reopening look like? And that's, they're going to deal with issues like education. It's not just going back to school, you know, in, at, at the end of May for a couple of weeks, talking about what's the fall semester going to look like for K-12? What's it going to look like for our universities? What would need to be in place? I mean, we're assuming, um, you know, maybe there'll be an antiviral developed. Um, you know, we don't know how this thing is going to, is there going to be this wave and then a second wave comes back in the fall? So there's a lot of things that, that you need to be prepared for. So they're going to look at all this stuff with education, they're going to look at all with different sectors of the economy. So there's a whole bunch of things. It's not just this business or that. It's the education. It's the, it's the, the quality of life. It's, it's exercise and health, uh, mental health. Some of the things that are going to be uh, growing out of this, well, one, we don't know for sure because this has really never been tried in modern America before, but, but there are obviously going to be second-order effects. And, um, and those are going to be things that we're going to have to deal with here. Twelve residents of a veteran's nursing home in South Florida have tested positive for COVID-19, and one of them has died. A spokesman for the Florida Department of Veterans Affairs says it happened at a home in Pembroke Pines that's operated by the state. The facility had its first two COVID cases back in mid-March, and the department began checking nursing home staff members for the virus this week. So far, none of them have tested positive. National Guard strike teams have also started making the rounds at nursing homes throughout the state, and Governor DeSantis says they're testing everyone. 
We have 10 teams of four soldiers each. They're actively testing. Uh, today, they've already taken samples from 500 people, um, and will there are going to be many more. And I've told Jared uh, we want to expand that as widely uh, as we can. It's very, very important uh, that we focus resources on those people who are the most vulnerable uh, to COVID-19. And so I want to thank the National Guard for really leading the effort on this. We had done a lot early on on the screening and on limiting the visitation, and that, that has been effective. I mean, there were definitely people who were sick who were kept out. Uh, the problem is with the staffs, not everyone has symptoms. So you have one staff member who's not symptomatic, and they can infect 10, 20 other staff members, and obviously that could transfer over to the residents. And so doing this spot testing uh, is a way to be able to identify that and then prevent a, a major outbreak in one of these facilities. There have already been more than 1,100 coronavirus cases involving residents or staff members of long-term care facilities in Florida, and in most cases, the state is not identifying the homes. Florida's emergency management director says they're having more luck tracking down personal protective gear for health care workers. Jared Moskowitz says they're working around the clock to deliver the goods, and the numbers are adding up. Eight million masks, five and a half million gloves, 564,000 shoe covers, uh, 615,000 face shields, 300,000 gowns, uh, over 100,000 containers of hand sanitizer, 47,000 goggles, and, and 22,000 coveralls, which are basically like Tyvek suits. And so uh, we are continuing uh, to push out uh, all sorts of different PPE. Uh, obviously, burn rates continue to change. We're continuing to analyze that uh, as, as we decide where it needs to go. But this is a 24-hour operation. We're going to be, we run stuff all night, all day. And we're pushing directly to where it needs to go, directly to the front lines, directly to the hospitals, the nursing homes, uh, and, to our, and to our first responders, uh, police uh, and fire. And so, uh, again, it's social distancing. Uh, the mitigation measures are work, working. We are flattening uh, that curve. That cur Florida has a good story to tell on what's been working, and so uh, we have to stay the course. Remember, April 30th uh, is the 30 days to stop the spread, and so uh, even while we talk about uh, the good news that is happening here in the state of Florida, you know, we still need people to continue uh, the social distancing, and, and you know, we're mindful uh, that there are still many families out there uh, that are suffering uh, with this and have loved ones in, in hospitals. And so, uh, you know, a as we talk about that good news, we're not turning the page on anybody. And so it's important uh, that we continue to focus on, on the folks that, that, you know, are dealing with COVID-19. Florida Attorney General Ashley Moody says her office has secured nearly $160,000 in refunds from price gouging schemes and issued 65 subpoenas amid the novel coronavirus outbreak. For more than a month now, my investigators and attorneys have been working diligently to deter price gouging, secure refunds, and hold bad actors accountable. These efforts are producing results, and a large part of that success is due to the great information we are receiving from Floridians who don't want to see their neighbors taken advantage of during these challenging times. We are receiving hundreds of tips from consumers every week, and our investigators are following up on every one of these reports. I want to encourage Floridians to keep these reports coming, and we will continue our efforts to deter price gouging and hold gougers accountable. There are three ways to report price gouging. You can call 1-866-9-NO-SCAM, visit myfloridalegal.com, or download our price gouging reporting app, No Scam, on your smartphone. Please help us on this mission. 
Moody says they've received 2,700 complaints about potential price gouging. Her office has also made more than 3,800 referrals or contacts to merchants about allegations of price gouging, refunds, or scams. The state court system is locking down during the coronavirus pandemic, but the Florida Supreme Court has decided to hold oral arguments in May using Zoom, the teleconferencing software that allows people to take part in meetings while they work from home. Next up on the Sunrise Interview, we'll talk with the court's public information officer to hear how that will work and how the court is protecting itself from Zoom bombers. This is Sunrise from Florida Politics. Welcome back to Sunrise. Our guest today is Craig Waters, the public information officer at the Florida Supreme Court. They've been on lockdown like everyone else in the state, but the chief justice has decided they will resume hearing oral arguments next month, only not in person. Instead of having all the justices and the attorneys gather at the Supreme Court chamber in Tallahassee, Waters says they'll all be staring into their computer screens. The court has always relied um, on technology ever since the, uh, the revolution caused by the Internet in the 1990s. So we have all this technology already in place, and, and we are looking for ways to adapt it to this new environment created by coronavirus. Um, obviously, uh, with social distancing uh, and concerns for public health, um, the way courts traditionally do business, uh, which has been face-to-face, in-person meetings, uh, causes problems. So uh, we are looking for ways to, to do uh, our usual business, including oral arguments, in ways that are consistent with the public health mandates that have been put out by uh, state officials. Um, so um, we, we have looked at teleconferencing software, and, and we uh, think we have found a way to combine it with the technology we already have in order to make it work and to let um, the process of uh, government and the state courts continue, uh, and, and most particularly to let it continue in a way that is transparent as possible. So where will the justices be during the actual hearing? Uh, that's going to be up to them. Um, many of them will uh, either be in their, their offices um, uh, or, or uh, in, in their chambers in the building, depending on you know, uh, what, what, uh, what their, their daily schedule is. But they will have the software on individual computers uh, that will be able to pick up their, their images uh, and, uh, and, and their speech. Uh, and uh, this will be transmitted uh, in, into the teleconferencing software. The attorneys will also be uh, uh, available in a, a similar situation with their own, their own computers and their own cameras fixed on them. And the oral arguments will continue um, as a, a video and audio teleconference. Um, we're very fortunate that we have uh, um, experience since 1997 in, in putting out live streams of, of oral arguments. Um, you know, we've been doing this uh, on the Internet um, uh, uh, and uh, through the Florida Channel and also on Facebook Live for quite some time now. So what we are planning to do is to take the video and audio produced by the teleconferencing and convert it into the right formats and then feed it out over the existing live streams so that people can watch it as they normally would do um, on uh, Facebook Live um, or uh, on the Internet through any of the other means uh, that, that we have been broadcasting. And I'm assuming this is the first time for this, right? Yes, there has always been this long-standing belief that oral arguments have to be done in person, face-to-face. Um, and, and, of course, that's a tradition that goes back you know, hundreds and hundreds of years. Um, coronavirus has made the, you know, the, the basis of, of that tradition difficult. So we are having to adapt um, uh, and, and, and to uh, find ways to continue the business of the court 
um, without endangering people's health, um, you know, because we don't know who has the virus and who doesn't. So I presume you're taking precautions about being, well, what do they call it now, Zoom bombing? We have talked with experts in the field. We've talked with other courts that have been doing um, this kind of teleconferencing using Zoom and other products. Uh, and um, we, uh, we think we found a way to, to deal with Zoom bombing. Um, basically, um, uh, what we are going to do is have uh, the, the justices and the intern- attorneys will be the only ones that are on the teleconference. Um, everyone else will be able to watch that uh, because we will take that feed, convert it into the right formats, and then put it out onto the live streams so that people can watch it. Other people will not have access to the teleconferencing, and that's, that, of course, is being done for the security reasons that, uh, that have, have become apparent. And as a traditionalist, I have to ask you, will you still have the marshal saying, hear ye, hear ye? <laughs> we will have him on hand. I am hoping we will continue the, that tradition. Um, uh, we, w- one of the concerns here is we have to figure out exactly how many feeds we can, we can have coming into the system without, you know, without overloading it. Uh, so, um, you know, we, as, we, as we test this, uh, as we get closer uh, to, uh, to May, we will look at, uh, at whether we can still have the traditional OEA. I'd just like to say, you know, that, that the state courts are really uh, working very hard right now to, to make sure that the work continues and people can still see the work. Um, I, I, this is very important to the Chief Justice. Um, you know, Justice Kennedy has, has a longstanding commitment to, to transparency, and, and, of course, the court itself has a tradition of transparency going back to the, the mid-1970s. So we are working very, very hard right now uh, to make sure that, that people can still see the work of the courts in the way they always have done, using you know, video and, uh, and other broadcasts that come out uh, over the Internet. And it's not just the Supreme Court that's doing this. So the, uh, we, we've worked very hard with, with the other courts in Florida to make sure that they also are using the same kinds of technology to uh, make sure the work continues and make sure it remains transparent. The experiment begins during oral arguments on the 6th of May when the High Court tackles two marijuana-related cases. One is a battle over licensing for medical marijuana dispensaries. The second case focuses on a constitutional amendment that would allow adults to use marijuana for recreational purposes. The state is asking the U.S. Supreme Court to reject the report from a special master mediating the water war with Georgia. Officials in Florida want the court to require Georgia to share more water in a river system that links the two states. They claim Georgia has been taking too much water from the Chattahoochee River and the reduced flows are killing the oyster industry in Apalachicola Bay. Special Master Paul Kelly rejected the claim, saying Florida never really proved that Georgia's water use is responsible for the plight of the oyster industry. In their filing with the Supreme Court, attorneys for Florida claim the special master's conclusion could doom the Alachicola River and the oyster industry in the Bay. Your calendar of events begins with the nominating commission for the first judicial circuit. They'll be interviewing candidates for an opening created by the retirement of Judge Michael Allen. The first circuit is made up of Escambia, Okaloosa, Santa Rosa, and Walton counties. The commission meets at 8. The candidates will be interviewed by video conference. The Florida Commission on Offender Review meets by conference call at 9. The State Reemployment Assistance Appeals Commission meets at 9.30 in Tallahassee. The Florida Restaurant and Lodging Association will host a webinar at noon with Senator Rick Scott about the impact of COVID-19 on the hospitality industry. And leaders of 1,000 Friends of Florida will hold an online program at noon to talk about the 2020 legislative session. Also, Representative Chevron Jones of West Park is holding a virtual town hall with Senator Marco Rubio and State Senator Oscar Brainerd of Miami Gardens to talk about coronavirus. That's on Facebook Live starting at 1245. 
And finally, it's time for our daily update with Florida Man, the superhero Florida certainly doesn't need, but probably deserves. A Florida man who is also a YouTube prankster with over 10 million subscribers is accused of beating a jogger in Miami Beach. TMZ reports the 28-year-old Vitaly Zdolaretsky was arrested after a woman told police she was jogging by herself when the guy tackled her, knocked her down, straddled her, and started punching her in the chest and face. She needed stitches to close a cut above her eye. Witnesses say the guy fled to a nearby house where he was later arrested on a felony charge of aggravated assault. The victim told police she never met him before the attack. And a Florida man who also happens to be governor has decided Rathlin is an essential service that should continue in spite of his statewide lockdown for COVID-19. A memo from the office of Governor Ron DeSantis declared professional sports league employees and their media partners as essential services. It doesn't actually mention World Wrestling Entertainment by name, but this means WWE can resume operating out of their facility in Orlando as long as the location is closed to the general public. And the governor says he'd like NASCAR and the PGA to consider doing the very same thing. Insert Ron DeSantis, WWE Exemption. That's it for today's episode of Sunrise. I'm Rick Flagg in Tallahassee, inviting you to join us again tomorrow as we plumb the depths of Florida politics.